the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We're here to support your company and your employees now and in the future. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This is my first podcast of 2018, so happy new year to you all. I trust you had a good break over the Christmas period. Don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. Now, 2017 was another busy year for the Irish hotel industry. We had many new properties and extensions opening and a record 8.9 million tourists visited Ireland during the year. Spending by overseas visitors to Ireland rose by 6% to 4.9 billion euro. So who better to reflect on this boom period for the trade and to comment on the challenges that might lie ahead than Tim Fenn, Chief Executive of the Irish Hotels Federation. A native of Cork, Tim was Chief Executive of FM 104 in Dublin for taking on his current role in mid-2010. Before that, he worked for the accountants Farrell Grant Sparks and he was also involved with a family business in the hotel trade some years ago. The IHF represents almost 1,000 hotels and guest houses nationwide and employs more than 57,000 people. So, Tim, welcome to Inside Business and thank you for coming into the studio. So, let's put 2017 into context for the Irish hotel trade. Was it good, bad or indifferent? 2017 has been a good year of growth for tourism, albeit with a couple of warning signs out there on the back of uh, Great Britain and Northern Ireland. But uh, it's on the back also of seven straight years of growth since 2011. And uh, this growth is on the back of international growth as well. But while um, international arrivals are growing, um, we can't be sure that they will come to Ireland. We have to compete for everything we get. Yeah. Uh, We have no passing trade here in Ireland. And while, say, in the last year, Europe grew by 6%, we only grew by 3%. But that was because of the reduction. So you grew. What, what do you mean, grew by three percent? Revenues or international arrivals in Europe right. increased by six percent in two thousand sixteen. Mm. We had a record eight point nine million tourists visiting Ireland last year. This is according to uh, ITIC, um, drawing on some CSO uh, data. ITIC being the Irish Tourist Industry Confederation, um, and in a report, um, just what in the past week or so. And they said that spending by overseas visitors to Ireland last year rose by 6% to 4.9 billion euro. I mean, uh, you know, they're pretty big numbers. There's very positive figures out of North America, uh, an increase of 16% in in arrivals. And continental Uh, Europe is doing well. continental Europe is up 5%. And, um, and we've got all these new air routes long, coming out of Ireland, long, transatlantic and so forth. Yeah, long haul is up 13%. And I suppose the, the key issue then is that, that uh, Great Britain and North Ireland are down 5%. Yeah. So what we're seeing really is, is that um, when you look at the growth, mm. um, it's not uniform right across the country. Um, the hotspots are doing really well. But that was doing very well. I mean, let me just quote a, a PwC report, European Cities Hotel Forecast for 2017 and 2018. In 2017, it put the growth in rep power, which is revenue f- uh, per available room, and that's kind of a metric that's used across the industry uh, worldwide. Uh, Porto topped that table with growth of 14.8%, but Dublin was second with growth of 8.7%, putting it ahead of Budapest, uh, Madrid, Lisbon, Prague, Barcelona, Frankfurt, Paris, London, Amsterdam, etc. And for 2018, PwC is predicting growth for another strong year for Porto, 12.8% again, topping the table. Budapest uh, second, Madrid third, uh, Dublin slipping to fourth, but still at 7.4%. And then if you look at the occupancy uh, rankings, this is average occupancy, 
If we look at 2016, uh, Dublin top of the table with 82.5%, ahead of London and Amsterdam and Berlin. Uh, in 17, the forecast for Dublin, 83%, uh, again, ahead of London, Amsterdam, Prague, Barcelona, etc. And uh, for 18, it's forecasting that Dublin will once again top the table with occupancy of 83.8%. Now, when you consider that Sunday is usually, you know, it's a quiet day of the week for the hotel trade generally, not just in Ireland, but elsewhere as well. I mean, 83.4%, it's almost full occupancy, isn't it? It's pretty, it's well, as, as, as it's pretty there, much as good as it gets. In 2016... Dublin had the highest occupancy rate in Europe, um, but it was the 11th highest in average daily rate. So it is still a very competitive mm. uh, destination. So what is the average? What is the average rate? In 2016, it was 129 euros, the average daily rate. What about 70? What, we, what, well, what the, are the figures showing you? Literally today, those figures don't exist. Mm. They will exist in about two or three weeks' time. Um, STR Global. Um, are the firm that have those figures and uh, they haven't published uh, 2017 year figures yet but what we would expect is that there will be an increase maybe of about 7% on on last year Mm. and uh, what we also expect is that the occupancy rate will still be the highest in Europe and will be moving from about 11th highest in Europe to possibly about 9th. Ninth, yeah. Well, it's quite good, isn't it? No, well, see, Dublin is still very competitive from an international perspective. For overseas Uh, visitors. Yeah, yeah. And and, um, even within the island of Ireland, Dublin is still very competitive. The issue Dublin has is that um, in about 25, 30 days of the year, there is no availability. Mm. There's a capacity Mm. issue in Dublin. Well, now, I was down in North Cork for a few days over Christmas and uh, one of the locals down there told me that they were coming up. They're coming up for a Michael Bublé concert in Dublin uh, shortly. I'm not sure precisely. I can't remember precisely when, but they're coming up first. Uh, And they'll be looking at hotel rates and they're being, quote, 300 euro plus. If they can find. That's probably the last couple of rooms in Dublin. That's pretty Uh, saucy, isn't it? Well, you see, the average room rate is the key factor. And anybody who's coming to a Michael Bublé concert most of the people who are are booking six months in advance and they're, and uh, what we're suggesting to people is that you know always shop around and try to go to the hotels directly if you can because there is value out there and when it comes to Dublin as well a lot of people seem to think that they have to stay right and smack bang in the centre of Dublin Dublin isn't a very very big city so within a, a, a 10 minute taxi ride there's great value on the periphery of Dublin as well uh, compared yeah. to uh, you, compare that to other uh, major cities in Europe, and you could be sitting in taxis for an hour. Well, you mentioned SDR, and they have uh, what's generally recognised as pretty good data on yeah. on the industry. And um, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were suggesting that we could see room rates rise by between five and a half and seven and a half percent in Dublin uh, in 2017. That's what they were predicting um, last year. I mean, that's, again, that's a very that's a very saucy increase. Dublin came, has come from a very low base. Mm. Um, And what we are all very quick to forget is how much it did collapse. When we got to a stage back in 2011 where it was cheaper to to stay in a hotel bedroom in the centre of Dublin rather than get a taxi home. Now, so those rates we've seen, those increased rates are recovery rates. And what we expect to see next year is, is there will be a softening in the actual percentage increase rates. So we're now getting to a stage where it's beginning to stabilise. We're also at a stage now where um, the the performance of hotels in Dublin is now justifying new build. 
where for the, the, the five years up to two years ago, um, it was cheaper to buy a distressed asset than to build a new hotel. So there's new capacity coming into Dublin now, which is great. And that's important not only for Dublin, but that's also important for the, uh, for the whole country because mm. it means that Dublin is the entrepot for the people who come and stay in Dublin. Sure, and, yeah, and, and there's no doubt a bit like the housing market, there was a lack of uh, new supply coming into the market uh, because of the property crash and banking crash yes. and so forth that we had here um, post-2008. Uh, but I think something like 5,000 rooms or, or thereabouts have been talked about yeah. Um, so for Dublin out to 2020. But I've been talking to some senior industry figures who suggest to me that um, that 5,000 uh, just simply won't happen. And it won't happen because we we'll probably get about 3,000 and the rest won't happen yeah, we, we, either because planning applications will fail, but more likely because um, the, the, the they won't be able to secure funding for the projects. Funding is still a critically important part of um, these new bills and it's still very difficult to obtain. It's a very complex area. Um, we would expect possibly a thousand bedrooms next year and two thousand then. So this is sorry, is this eighteen, two thousand and eighteen? Yes, thousand bedrooms. Sorry. Okay. In the current year, we would expect an additional two uh, one thousand this year, two thousand next year, and then who knows what's going to happen? And you're absolutely right. The complexity of the um, the time value of money and the length of time it takes to um, get from uh, purchase to, to opening uh, makes it very difficult to be sh sure of, of your finance. And that has created some difficulty for people who are not um, involved in, in, in significant investment funds. Mm. Um, are Irish hotels good value for money? In terms of um, purchase? No, in terms of uh, for, for the people who actually stay in them. Relative to other cities around the world. Absolutely. I mean, the, those STR global figures uh, indicate that. Mm. Uh, certainly across uh, Europe, we're very good value for money. But what you also have to look at is their average rates. It's possibly only about 30 or days in a year when the last available rate reaches the average. For those people who are you know, uh, price sensitive and if they shop around, there's plenty of good value there. Yeah. Now we talked about Dublin. What about the rest of the country? Though we know, I think that Dublin, the hotel trade here is uh, it's booming. I think it's fair to say it's booming, booming being the word. But I mean, what about the rest of the country? How, how how's the rest of the country performing? Yeah, the tourism hotspots around Ireland, say Kilkenny, uh, Killarney, Dingle, uh, Galway, Westport, they certainly have had a very good couple of years. And 2017 was no uh, was just as good. Um, and then we have um, what I would call is, is, is rural Ireland or the other urban spots have also seen a recovery. And we see a very positive um, indicator from the use of meeting rooms and hotels, which means that corporate Ireland is beginning to grow again as well uh, in terms of using rooms for interviews or for training sessions or whatever. Mm. And that, that's, that's very positive for the Irish economy as, a, as such. And, uh, but what we also have is, is the... Um, the the other parts of Ireland, rural Ireland is still quite stagnant and it is lagging significantly behind the rest of the country. So what would be the worst performing areas? Well, well I suppose the, um, the areas most at risk at the moment are um, border counties and midlands. Mm. Um, okay, and we'll talk about Brexit later, yeah, I presume yeah. the border counties in particular. The, the are, impact there is because yeah. of the percentage of their business that is from the sterling areas. You mentioned corporate business on the way back. Uh, curious to know about weddings, particularly since the marriage equality referendum. Are we seeing a lot of LGBT uh, couples getting married? Is that providing a bit of a boon for Irish hotels? 
I don't have a specific figure on LGBT, um, but um, we have very positive indicators on the wedding market. Mm. So, which is good. Right. What about Airbnb? What impact is that having on the hotel trade? How do your members feel about Airbnb? Well, the short-term private accommodation rental sector, as you as you describe it, um, is an area that uh, we're very clear. Um, we believe that all tourism accommodation should be regulated and it should be subject to the same um, legal um, taxation, um, insurance, quality assurance, and redress for customers, as hotels are. And Irish hotels are um, highly regulated, mm. They're the best quality and standards of hotels anywhere in the world, and uh, it should be a level playing pitch for all operators in the industry. Yeah, but having said that, I mean, it, it's short-term rentals, Airbnb. And if you go and stay in an Airbnb, you don't expect to get the same service as you do at Shelburne Hotel, for example. Um, so why should they be regulated in the same way? Well, you should have um, the same comfort in terms of... Um, but you're never going to get that with a short-term rental. You know, if you're uh, renting an apartment, let's say, on Pier Street in Dublin, you're not going to get the same comfort as you get in the Shelburne or you get in well, Powers Court or you is, get in Dromoland. It's our belief that anybody who is carrying on a business should be under the same regulations as other businesses. Mm. And if they're not, then there's an unfairness. Mm. And for us, then, um, you know, this is an area that, that's not a particular... Uh, it's not particularly difficult an issue, or it isn't a particularly difficult issue in Dublin yet. It has been in other cities across Europe and across the world. And, uh, you know, the regulators would want to uh, pay attention to that. Yeah. So so is there an issue with Airbnb in Dublin, or is there, is there going to be an issue in Dublin with Airbnb, do you think? In the end of the day, um, if it's a case that, that Airbnb is allowed to grow without any um, recourse to regulation, planning laws, or uh, fire officer mm. regulations, then um, it, it shouldn't, uh, it, it, will, it will be a problem. Well, I think we've seen Dublin City Council take issue with some premises uh, in the city being used for Airbnb and of late, and which right, we've reported on. Uh, and rightly so. Yeah, okay. Um, but Airbnb isn't going to go away. It's going to be a feature um, for many years to come, you would have to imagine. Maybe there will be other uh, websites will ape the kind of service that they're providing. So how do your members respond? Our members and hotels have been dealing with online uh, travel agents for many years now. And it's part of the day-to-day operation of the business. Mm. But Airbnb offers better value, doesn't it? I mean, it's cheaper. By and large, it's cheaper. That's why people use it. So how do you respond? That's not necessarily true. No, not necessarily in, in no, all cases. It's I not necessarily that. true. But as a general rule, I one, think it is. One of the uh, drivers for... Um, short-term private accommodation rental is in uh, the land of price resistance. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt about that. But the reality then is, is that what are you getting for what you're paying? And are you getting what you paid for? Yeah. And some of the uh, short-term product is very, very good. Some is not so good. Some of the service uh, commitments are good. Some are not so good. But it's up to consumers to make their own choices. Um, our issue is with the regulators and the regulators should be mindful of the fact that there are fire issues, there are insurance issues, there is customer redress and uh, they should be on a level playing pitch for mm. anybody who's involved in carrying on a business. All right. So the regulators have been who exactly? The local authorities, I presume? Local authorities, uh, the fire officers, everybody who, who's right. involved. And have you been lobbying these groups? Not directly, no. Indirectly? 
Well, we're saying, uh, insofar as we're talking here today, we're talking about it. Right. But you haven't lobbied any of these... We haven't written to any of these people. Sort of make your members' views known that you feel that, uh, let's say, Airbnb or anybody else involved in the short-term rental business should be regulated in the same way as hotels or guest houses. The message I'm giving you is the message we've been um, uh, very clear in how we are imparting that to everybody that we meet. So you can call that lobbying, yes. All right, uh, we're going to take a short break now. When we come back, I'll be asking Tim Fenn about the challenges that Brexit might pose to the Irish hotel industry. And we'll also be talking about the special 9% VAT rate that the industry currently enjoys. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life, June 2015. Now, welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes, and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcast. This week, I'm joined in studio by Tim Fenn, Chief Executive of the Irish Hotels Federation. And Tim, fair to say that Brexit is going to be a real challenge for your industry, as indeed for many industries in Ireland uh, over the coming years. We don't know the final shape of a deal, but what we do know is that uh, sterling is down around 14, 15% against the euro since the referendum result uh, in the middle of 2016. And we also know that the number of visitors from Britain uh, to Ireland declined last year. So how is that impacting on your members? I suppose in relation to Brexit, um, we have to look at sterling area. Um, and Brexit is here already. Um, and you, you just, you, we see at the moment now, from this time two years ago, sterling is down 17%. And say two months ago, it was down twenty percent. So it's it's a significant figure. Popping around, yeah. And that, that that which is very important in terms of competitiveness for us, not only from the decision that's going to be made by people from the Sterling area, but also people who may want to come to the Sterling Sterling area. Um, so we don't know as yet what's going to happen with the border and how that's going to impact on whether it's going to be hard, soft, and the, the impact on travel going forward. And we don't know what the impact is going to be on the common travel area, and we don't know what the impact is going to be on aviation and transport policies. Uh, but consumer confidence in the UK is going to be a key factor in this and how they make their decisions on their travel. Um, so all of that is where we just don't know. Mm. But what we do know is is that there's been a 5% drop in visitors from Great Britain. And what we have to look at, and you mentioned earlier on, there was about 9 million visitors into um, uh, the Republic of Ireland last year. Um, if you take in the visitors from North of Ireland, that's over 10 million. And that means that something in the order of 49% of our out-of-state visitors are from the Stirling area. And it's about 29% of total revenue. Mm. And if you start taking out 5% out of that or some figure, you pretty quickly you can move between 75 and 100 million euro. Mm. And mind you, the growth, as you mentioned earlier, the growth from North America has been very strong. And those visitors tend to spend more than, let's say, people coming from the UK, don't they? Which is true. But but the issue that I'm coming to is is that um, the people who come from certain areas come um, at different times of the year that the, um, say, the long-haul visitors are not here. And they go to parts of the country that um, uh, the long-haul and other visitors don't go to. So they're very important to the Midlands and the border counties. And that's um, an area of significant concern to us. Mm. So what is the government um, 
what does the industry, first of all, need to do to respond? Well, I suppose for us, uh, we can't do anything about some of those issues I mentioned earlier on. Um, what we can work on is the visitor experience, and we just have to be better at what we do. We also have to make sure that we uh, are as best as we possibly can be in relation to value for money. And then we also have to look at other aspects of our own skill base. Our industry now supports 230,000 jobs, which is 11% of total employment in Ireland. Mm. And our industry supports many, many high-skilled jobs such as general managers, uh, financial controllers, HR managers, uh, revenue managers, marketing managers, sales managers, executive chefs. There's a lot of very, very high-skilled jobs. We also have um, less-skilled jobs. And we have a good opportunity for people to get started in employment. And we talk more now about career paths rather than just jobs. And it's, our, it's our objective is to create career paths for those people who have an interest in developing uh, their skills and to give them an opportunity to uh, move up the line. And a, a key part of what we're working at the moment with, with Solus, with the Department of Education, is in the area of, uh, and the ETBs and the IOTs, is in the area of um, apprenticeships and traineeships. And opening up new channel, channels into our industry and making our industry more attractive to those people who are looking for a career. Mm. Um, and there, that's a big part of what we're doing at the moment because Ireland uh, um, is now heading for full employment this year. Mm. Um, well, we're still some way off. But, I mean, it is a tough industry, isn't it, to work in because uh, the hours can be can be long, they can be unsocial. Um, you tend to, the busy times of the year, or times when your friends are maybe off, like St. Patrick's Day or Easter or Christmas, Absolutely. Uh, it, 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 hospitality and tourism isn't for everybody. But those people who are in it like it. They like it for lots of reasons because of the uh, teamwork, the interaction with customers. And, lots and it of is other regionally aspects. dispersed as well. Yeah, and lots of other things. And, and maybe you can find a job closer to where you want to live. Yeah. Now, one of the key uh, supports for the industry from the government is the special 9% VAT rate. It was introduced in 2011 as a temporary measure to try and help the industry get back on its feet uh, following the crash. And it's done its job very effectively. I think that's been uh, mentioned by uh, Michael Noonan as Minister for Finance and his successor, uh, Pascal Dunahoo. But you came very close to losing it last year, didn't you? In the well, the 9% VAT is vital in underpinning and sustaining continued growth um, in the sector. And the 9% VAT rate, it continues to be uh, the most successful job creating creation initiative uh, in modern times. Yeah, it's done its job. It's, it's, it's worked. It's done its job. So what it has done is it has uh, allowed our industry compete uh, with other countries. And across Europe, um, we are now in the median of all VAT rates for accommodation. It isn't, we don't, you know, we don't see it as a special rate as such. Mm. So allowing us to compete has proven itself and it has allowed the industry yeah. grow. And in so growing, it is now at a stage where it is about shy, just shy of two billion a year going into the exchequer. Well, in an advisory note uh, to the minister, the Department of Finance um, said that the lower via this in the run up to budget uh, 2018, which was delivered in October of last year, the Department of Finance said that the lower VAT rate introduced during the economic crisis had done its job. And increasing it would raise 500 million euro for the exchequer for finances. Money that needs to be spent elsewhere in the economy, it, it could might, be argued. It might on, um, on a static analysis basis. But the reality here is we have a moving uh, feast insofar as um, you cannot take tourism for granted. 
we saw what happened back in 2008 when it collapsed and yeah. it can collapse very quickly. Okay, it's but we're talking about uh, room rates going up uh, by up to 7.5% in Dublin last year. That's the forecast from uh, STR. So, why, I mean, if room rates, uh, if hotels themselves or guest houses can put up their room rates by that kind of level on average, 7.5%, why would a VAT rate, uh, a return to 13.5% be so damaging? Dublin is only about one third of the total stock of accommodation in Ireland. Um, and Dublin is a, um, a pinch point in terms of capacity. Um, the market is, is working. Dublin is beginning now to get its new capacity, which is, from a national point of view, uh, it is badly needed. Um, and that's for tourism. It's for domestic uh, commercial market. It's also for inward investment. All of the capacity that's required for Dublin to thrive um, you know, requires new investment. It's not only just for hotels, mm. it's also for apartment blocks, it's for uh, offices, it's for retail. And here is a measure that's actually working in a labour-intensive industry, um, which um, is providing employment in parts of the country that otherwise would not see it because it's not, uh, uh, let's say, a place where inward investment can drive. Yeah. Well, the ITU, I mean, trade unions are very much opposed to the special VAT rate. ITU General Secretary Patricia King said the reduced rate of VAT enjoyed by the hospitality and tourism sector represented a de facto subsidy and um, that it already cost the state some 2.2 billion euro in taxes foregone. And I know that unions are angry uh, or angered um, by some of the terms and conditions that are offered to uh, hotel workers and the fact that, um, uh, you know, a lot of hotels won't recognise unions. I know they're not happy, but I don't think it's because of that. They're not happy because um, we don't see any benefit in having a JLC, a Joint Labour Committee. Why? Um, because we never saw it as collective bargaining. But many hotels do have collective bargaining and they do uh, um, operate within um, that whole um, voluntary code. Um, the JLCs were for certain parts of the country. So what we see is that uh, there's a national minimum wage for all workers in Ireland. Mm. Um, and that national minimum wage is appropriate. And the key to it is is that um, the Low Pay Commission have a remit from government to carry out an assessment on what should be the, um, the national minimum wage for Ireland. They have to look at evidence-based uh, assessment and they come up with a conclusion. And that's what should be there to um, support the, those um, jobs that would be otherwise uh, maybe underpaid. And if there is a national minimum wage for all workers in Ireland, um, we then have an opportunity for businesses to grow and thrive. And when they do, the market itself will actually dictate uh, any increases that can be available to those people. Yeah. Now, there was a report from uh, Crow Horworth uh, last year which suggested that larger hotels generated almost €16,400 profit per room in 2016. Uh, that was compared to 13600 in the previous year. A big increase. Um, and again, I suppose it, it begs the question as to why um, the industry should continue to benefit from this uh, special rate. And if you look at uh, the Marion Hotel in Dublin, it's a five-star hotel. Uh, its profit uh, before tax jumped by more than a million euro in the year to the end of October 2016. Uh, there was a 15% increase in turnover. Uh, if we look at profits at the uh, Fitzwilliam Hotel, again in Dublin, uh, rose by 18%. Uh, Shelburne 
reported a sharp turnaround in its financial uh, fortunes in 2016. Profits uh, up uh, up to 3.4 million euro. I mean, you know, Kelly's uh, resorts uh, in, in Rosslare, uh, profits up there. And similarly, you know, it's a similar sort of story at a lot of these uh, places around the country. And we've seen um, massive investment in the industry here as well. JP Man is spending um, many, many millions of euros on Adair Manor. Uh, for example, and uh, 50 million, I think, was uh, spent by Red Carnation on Ashford Castle and uh, Shelburne has had a a major uh, refurbishment, a couple of uh, major refurbishments in the last decade, effectively. Uh, And yet the industry continues to benefit from this special tax rate. 500 million euro a year that could be used for social services, maybe. The, The VAT rate we're talking about is the rate that's appropriate for the industry because it allows us to compete internationally. What you've described there um, is, is the environment for investment. And the wonderful environment for investment is created by the fact that we can compete. If you decide tomorrow to interfere with um, the ability of the industry to compete internationally for visitors, then very quickly uh, what you'll see is, is that um, the investment that's required in hotels Hotels are a very capital-intensive. Um, in, in, we're a capital-intensive industry. Um, hotels take significant investment for refurbishment, but also for updating and bringing them into the new age in terms of efficiencies in in um, in, in the use of energy and um, other aspects of the business. What we will say is is that um, while individual um, investors are making decisions on the different types of products that they want to provide. Um, mm. There is a broad and a bigger picture here that the industry is not uniform. Yeah. Not all businesses are in the same level of success as others and in particular the areas that are most vulnerable to uh, the sensitivity of uh, a, uh, a return to a high rate of taxation are the ones in rural Ireland, the mm. ones in the periphery of Ireland and the ones that actually have um, don't, don't have any profit figures, anything like the ones that you're quoting. Yeah, sure. And I think that's recognised, uh, has been recognised by Michael Noonan and Pascal Donoghue in the past. But nevertheless, they have both sort of signals that you can see that uh, in large parts of the industries, they're doing very well now, including Dublin. Um, and that maybe it's not appropriate um, for this rate to remain in place uh, forevermore. So what are the chances, do you think, of holding on to it in the budget this year? There's a very good chance uh, that that what people will recognise is that the tourism is a very important part of the Irish domestic economy. It's a domestic export industry. It is showing that it can respond to the activation measure that was put in place. It's also showing that it continues uh, to have potential and it isn't as if the job is done. We have 60,000 jobs created Mm. um, in the last uh, seven years. We have another 40 or 50 to go in the next three or four or five years and that's a job of work that is going to take a lot of investment and it's going to take a lot of commitment from the entrepreneurs and the investors out there to provide the infrastructure that's going to support tourism, which supports the exchequer, which supports the Irish economy. And most importantly, it, it, it supports um, the balance between the urban-rural divide in Ireland. And finally, Tim, your expectations, your forecasts, uh, if you like, for 2018. What do you expect? Uh, how do you expect the year to shape up for the hotel trade here? I think what we've seen in terms of growth rates in the last six, seven years are going to soften. 
Uh, I think um, we will continue to do well out of North America. We will continue to see growth out of great, out of um, mainland Europe, and um, from a much lower base, long haul, and the access from long haul is improving. Yes, as well. The big unknown is what's going to happen out of Great Britain. Right, and I have to ask you this, uh, Tim, and you, you you you'll have to answer it. Um, if if you're if some friend of yours uh, living abroad said, Tim, I'm I'm looking to come to Ireland for a week. Um, can you tell me first of all uh, where would you recommend I go and where would you recommend I stay? Which part of the country should I go to and where should I stay? What would you say? How much time have they got? A week? Oh, they have a whole week, a whole oh, seven yeah, nights. Yeah, yeah, seven nights. It's a, probably one of those questions that I can't answer. Oh, of course you can. Of course because, you can. Because um, um, what we have is about um, um, 820 hotels throughout the 26 counties. And um, there is a wonderful variety of product, uh, particularly in relation to, say, walking now. It's got a major, major activity uh, with about 2 million visitors a year walking. Uh, it may be, if they're going to walk, there'll be some of the products that will be uh, adjacent to, to the good pro- walking products. There's greenways for families who want to take their children off the road on bikes, etc. As We have the best uh, Lynx golf product in the world, in my estimation. So depending on which of those they want to do, we have plenty of, uh, of uh, product for them. All right, all right. I'll let you off the hook. <laughs> we'll leave it there. Tim Fenn, thank you for uh, joining us. Uh, that's it for this week from Inside Business. Declan Collin produced the show with JJ Vernon, uh, sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. <laughs>